G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Uh, I want to make a special welcome as we get this part of our special broadcast underway uh, to Nick Goyran, who's the Liberal Member of the Legislative Council representing South Metropolitan Region. He's also Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister for Mental Health and Child Protection. Uh, Nick, welcome along to the broadcast. Thanks so much for having me here. It's uh, really exciting to have you guys in, in town and for making the special effort to be here, and thanks for having me on the program. Uh, We're going to talk to you more in just a few moments, but another guest who's joining us too is Ralph Winmar. Now, that Winmar name is pretty famous because anyone who's an AFL football fan will recognise that name, Nicky Winmar. Well, Nicky's cousin, Ralph, uh, who is uh, joining us now. Hello, Ralph. Welcome along. Yeah, hello, Good, yes. Uh, Ralph, we want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the feelings in the Indigenous community about what's happening with the election. And uh, just recently you were uh, one of those who stood up at the Make It Count event and people were moved by your own story. You are an Indigenous man and you've had your own challenges over the time. You've got your own reflections on uh, suicide incidents in Indigenous communities. Tell us a a little of your own story. Well, um, all my life I grew up like a sheep shearer. I grew up pretty rough and rugged with all these other people. And I had uncles, like, you know, that they didn't show me love. But And the only love that I ever got in a juicy was, was, was beer, like you know, drinking alcohol and all this kind of stuff. But when I asked for some advice like it, they didn't know how to give it to me. So I, I don't know, I just tried to commit suicide three times. I slashed my wrist. I overdosed myself and I shot myself. And the only thing that I ever found was the love of Jesus Christ that came down, you know, and, and it revealed his love to me, you know. And that's the only love that I ever found. But like the indigenous communities out in the communities, like, you know, we need people to get out there and tell these people about, you know, about, hey, this is wrong, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, you know. Um, Just tell them about the love of Jesus Christ, mate, you know. Does that make sense or what? It makes sense. And, Ralph, you're a walking testimony of a life that's transformed by the love of Jesus. As I understand it, uh, when you went to the elders, the Aboriginal elders, yeah. uh, they said, have a beer and get over it. Is that is that the advice they gave? Yeah, and one of my uncles passed me a knife and he said, go for a slash your wrist, mate, you know. And that's not very nice, you know. So the values that are coming into uh, Australian society are very important. It's values that are translated not only into uh, city communities, but when we get into uh, outback communities, when we get into indigenous communities, the values are important. Uh, If I bring you into the conversation here, Nick, uh, as an upper house member there uh, in the Liberal government here in WA... Uh, when we talk about politics and Indigenous communities, uh, what's the connection? What sort of difference is government making in Indigenous communities when there are obviously so many incredible struggles that are going on? Yeah, it's powerful to be able to hear Ralph's uh, testimony and um, in particular what resonates with 
me is this um, remark there with regard to other males that were involved in his life. And uh, for an extended period of time, uh, I've been asking um, our government to implement a, a special strategy with regard to male role, role models in our community. Uh, in particular, I still hold the view that we need to have a minister for men's interests. It's very interesting in the Western Australian um, governance structure, we have a minister for women's interests, we have a minister for child protection, but we don't actually have anything that specifically looks at the uh, role of males in our society. Mm. And if I listen to what Ralph has had to say there, it's been, in this instance, the negative influence of males and the inability of those males necessarily to mentor him and work through the issues that he had um, that uh, were fundamental to where he was at at that particular point in time. Now, thankfully, uh, that's no longer the case and it's wonderful to be here with, with Ralph this morning. Um, but we need to have uh, the role of government, uh, somebody pushing, somebody mentoring, somebody striving, somebody championing the cause for males in our society uh, so that we can actually empower uh, men to be good fathers, to be good brothers, to be good uncles, uh, and mm. to be good citizens in our, in our culture. And, and that's, that's missing at the moment. Ralph, let me ask you, as you're interacting with uh, Indigenous brothers and sisters, uh, whether they be around the Perth area, uh, in the wider community, or up into the north end of the Kimberley and out into uh, all sorts of districts around WA, how are Aboriginal people thinking about the voting tomorrow in the election? Do you think that they are uh, excited about another election? Or is it just more of the same? How do you think Aboriginal people are feeling? OK, what is, what is the best um, voting for you, the best voting that we can vote for? Well, when we talk about uh, what party Aboriginal people might think to vote for, whether it's the Liberal Party or the National Party, uh, whether it's the Labor Party, uh, Christian parties, uh, how do you think Aboriginal people might be directing their vote? I reckon all you um, Noongars and Aboriginals and Wongas and Yamaji people, I reckon you should vote for what is right, you know, because we want to see this nation... You know, move on in life. You know, we can't look back to our past. We want to see it move on. Does that make sense? It does. What you're saying is, uh, when you say vote for what is right, I suppose when we talk about a broadcast like this today, a special broadcast, we say to people, vote for what is true. Uh, and truth is sometimes something that's missing in politics, not just the fact that people might tell truths or lies, uh, but the truth of God's word, the way that we might see biblical truth reflected into policy. Uh, let me come to Nick. Uh, yeah. I mean, Nick, you've been part of the upper house uh, in the government here in WA. Uh, obviously, you've got a party line to hold to as well, but there's a lot of flexibility within your party which enables you to be able to reflect on your own faith. And uh, as a strong, solid Christian foundation, you've got an ability to be able to reflect biblical truth into party policy. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I might add uh, to the disturbance of some, uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly not uh, flavour of the month uh, to be promoting Christian values uh, in policy. Um, in fact, it's probably the one area which gets most heavily attacked. Uh, many labels are thrown around. But irrespective of that, um, it's really the reason why I'm involved in the Parliament in the very first place. Um, it's critical for people to be able to understand that every parliamentarian 
uh, once they've been elected, make decisions on legislation and policy based upon their worldview. Uh, it's very easy to label the Christian worldview. In fact, the wonderful thing about the Christian worldview is that uh, uh, we've got uh, a standard, which is the Bible, which we can uh, put forward and say to people, hold me to account with regard to my worldview. Uh, very difficult to do that with a range of other people and their worldview. And so therefore what happens is that their positions are very fluid. Uh, they change depending on uh, the vibe at any particular moment in time. Uh, whereas for a person who holds a Christian worldview, that isn't the case. There's, st there's stability, there's um, clarity around what our position is on particular issues. So when it comes to something like Indigenous suicide, um, certainly the, the Christian response would be to say, well, every person has been made in the image of God and uh, therefore uh, we need to be journeying with people who are struggling just in the same way as you saw in the parable of the Good Samaritan, a person going along at their own cost and helping that person who was struggling at that moment in time. That would be the appropriate response from a Christian worldview. Now, uh, we're going to let you go in just a few moments, uh, Ralph Winmar, but uh, just to say one more thing, uh, you, you've got an Australian flag uh, beside you right there, and you're very proud of our Australian flag. And yeah. uh, in Western Australia, Indigenous people in general proud of the Australian flag because Indigenous soldiers fought alongside uh, non-Indigenous soldiers in our world wars and in other world wars subsequent to that. Uh, your special feeling about the Australian flag? I reckon the Australian flag, like, you know, because a lot of our um, Indigenous brothers went, went to Vietnam, went to war and all this kind of stuff. They did not carry the Aboriginal flag. They carried the Australian flag. And this flag here represents this country, and I rep represents this country. So if anyone be in Christ like Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creation. And, you know... Um, being born again and going to Margaret Court's church, you know, I put, a, put away the hold. Now I'm carrying the Australian flag, you know. Well, uh, just great to have you as part of our broadcast today. Ralph, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. In just a few moments, we'll welcome back Daryl Budge, who's the Acting State Director of Family Voice Australia. Uh, Nick Goyran, as we continue this conversation, uh, let's crunch some numbers with you. Uh, things are looking pretty tight. Uh, some would even say it looks as though uh, the potential there for the government to be changed tomorrow. How does that make you feel about how the campaign has been run and, uh, and how voters will feel when they turn up at the polling booth tomorrow? Sure. Well, I mean, election times are always nervous time for uh, members of parliament and candidates. I mean, it's the big, it's the big day. It's the, it's the grand final. Uh, it's the championship. So uh, just like in a sporting event when people are going to the Olympics, which happens once every four years, or the Commonwealth Games that happen every four years, uh, they might have trained for a particular event and suddenly it's, it's the final. They've got to uh, put on their best performance. Uh, in politics, it's very much the same thing, except that uh, that training... Uh, happens for the full four years and people are judging you on the performance of your training plus what happens on the final day. So we're waiting with uh, anticipation for some clarity <laughs> tomorrow from the people of Western Australia as to 
who they have decided uh, will be the group that uh, leads uh, the state for the next four years. Well, the polls have been showing uh, for a long time, the past 12 months, that Labor is going to waltz into power tomorrow. Uh, Of recent times, the polls began to tighten, and it looked at one point as though the polls were 50-50. I'm not sure what the the absolute most recent polling that you might have access to shows, but uh, is it showing that uh, the Liberal Party is truly the underdog here and things might not just uh, work in your favour, or or is there a chance of getting across the line? Yeah, I think there's no question where we're the underdog. There's a few reasons for that. Um, any government that's been in for two terms, so in Western Australia we have four-year terms, uh, so unlike the federal election cycle, which is three-year terms. Also, when we first came in in 2008, it was a very early election called by the then Labor Premier, uh, so we've actually um, been the beneficiaries of an extra six months as a result of that. So effectively, you've got somebody like Colin Barnett, the Premier, who's now been in, in uh, place for uh, eight and a half years. It's a very substantial period of time. It's to his great credit that he's been able to be the leader of Western Australia throughout that period of time. Very few people have lasted that long. So uh, that is a significant factor for people. Um, I still remember when uh, John Howard was uh, Prime Minister and, uh, you know, frankly, the, things were going very well in our nation, but there was an attitude within the, uh, the community that, oh, well, we don't mind this other bloke. You might remember his name was Kevin Rudd, the famous Kevin 07 uh, campaign, and so they switched. In fact, John Howard even lost his own seat, and uh, I dare say that uh, the majority of Australians probably regret that decision. So people feeling like Colin Barnett might be past his use-by date. Uh, Doesn't help things, does it, Uh, that he indicated that partway through the term, if he wins, that he may well uh, change the leadership uh, and uh, pass the baton on to another uh, front-runner. That doesn't necessarily help the cause. People want that sort of certainty of of who the leader is going to be. Do you think that could work against you? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've heard that point made a couple of times during the campaign and um, uh, where I give uh, Colin Barnett great credit is his honesty and integrity. Uh, A lot of the time... Uh, people don't actually show all of their cards. And he's been up front with the people of Western Australia and he said, look, this is my situation. Uh, I'm at this particular point in my career. I'm X amount years of age. And at some point during the next uh, cycle, I will be uh, standing down and uh, we're then up to the Liberal Party room to determine a successor. Now, you very rarely in politics get that level of honesty. Um, so, uh, look, I think it's to his credit that he's been uh, that frank with, with people. But, yes, it's interesting because when you're that frank, then you also attract the criticism and people saying, well, who are the successors and so forth. He could just as easily have said, oh, look, I'm hanging around for the next period and said nothing, but he chose not to, and I think that's a good thing. Daryl Budge is with us, the Acting State Director of Family Voice Australia. If we were crunching some numbers here, Daryl, you've no doubt been keeping an eye on how uh, electorates are... Uh, considering how they'll vote tomorrow. Uh, do you know of, uh, of what seats are most at risk? Uh, is there any insight that you have as to uh, you know, whether there are bellwether seats that might actually uh, you know, keep your eye on these because that'll indicate the government uh, tomorrow? What, what, what are your thoughts well, on crunching those numbers? And Nick would know more than me, but the, the top two is Belmont and Butler. They're uh, the 1% margin or less. Uh, uh, to, uh, what, 
Yeah. What's, what's the sitting member in, in, in uh, Belmont? Uh, uh, Glennis Godfrey. Glennis Godfrey. Mm. I just met her the, uh, last week. And, mm. yeah, she's a quality member there, and she may end up losing her seat. Cool. Uh, there'd be a number of seats that you'd be ha- concerned about. Nick, what, what, what ones are most prominent for you? Yeah, so I represent the South Metropolitan Region. So for your um, interstate listeners, uh, Western Australia for the upper house is divided into six regions. Uh, three metropolitan regions and three country regions. Now, of course, in Western Australia, when we talk about three country regions, they're absolutely massive. Yep. Um, you know, some of the regions are larger than the other states. <laughs> so um, there's a large amount of geographical uh, territory for people to be able to cover. Each of those regions are then um, represented by six members of parliament. And so six regions, six members of parliament, that's why you get 36 in the upper house. Now, my region is the South Metropolitan Region, and there are 15 lower house seats in that area. Uh, There are, generally speaking, most people say from both sides of politics, there are two key seats in play there. One is um, Southern River and the other one is is Bicton. A lot of work is being put in by both parties in, in those two seats. They're both held by the Liberal Party. Uh, obviously, the Liberal Party had an enormous success in 2013, so it's very difficult for the Liberal Party to now win additional seats. The job for the Liberal Party is to try to retain the ones that they have. So Bicton and Southern River are two key seats. Uh, I would be fairly confident to say that if we lost um, either of those two seats, then probably the Liberal Party's in trouble tomorrow. But if we hang on to uh, those two seats, then we're in good shape. Of course, the Southern River seat uh, by a former guest on 2020 uh, held by uh, Peter Abetz. And uh, as I was looking at the figures there, he has something like a 10% margin from the last election, but that 10% can be very easily eroded. Yeah, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, The primary one is that when people talk about these margins, they're talking about the 2013 election result. And again, it may not be... uh, that well known for your interstate listeners but in western australia in march 2013 there was this real um anti-labor um uh, atmosphere and that had to do with what was happening federally uh with uh kevin rudd and julia gillard and so people were very very aggressive in their in their voting and so the liberal party did exceptionally well at a state level it was it was really a reaction to that um you know if i'm perfectly frank i can't say it was because you know the liberal party had been so outstanding that you know everyone came in droves to vote, vote for us no it wasn't that it was really this anti Labor sentiments, and so those f- figures are very inflated. So a guy like Peter Abetz in Southern River, he started at two percent in two thousand and eight. He worked um, like you wouldn't believe. No one's worked harder than him, and uh, he increased his margin to seventeen percent. Then he's had a redistribution. The electoral commissioners came in and they chopped up the seats again, and so that's dropped back to ten percent. So. The 10% is inflated any way that you look at it. And uh, then if there's potentially a, an, a, an appetite against the government, then that adds to that. So hence things get really tight. Look, we're talking through issues to do with the election. And uh, one of our regular listeners, Marilyn from Maddington, is joining us. Hello, Marilyn. Good morning. How Marilyn, are you? I'm very well. And you've got a question Excellent. for our panel here today. For both your panel, uh, for Nick and Dale. Uh, my question would be to both of you, what actually is going to be your policies as far as crime and also the drug problem, particularly in our area, which does affect 
all families. It's got a rippling effect all the way through. So we really need a response, particularly, you know, with the police force and also the drug control. We need more, you know, police in this area. It's huge. Uh, Nick, uh, let's hear your response. Yeah, thanks. Um, th- there is no doubt whatsoever that there is a very significant drug problem in our community. And uh, this goes a little bit uh, to the point that I was making uh, earlier in our segment, that um, we have to start looking at the causes of these things. And it remains my um, considered view that we need to be looking at our male role models in our society. And until we're prepared to actually take the bull by the horns and recognise that our male leadership in our society is not what it should be in families and in communities, um, then, to be frank, we're never going to address this this problem of drugs. And um, so I I just continue to to advocate strongly uh, for government, whoever wins tomorrow, uh, to ensure that they um, invest heavily in this area. Now, it's not popular to say that because, um, unfortunately, there is this view in society that uh, males already dominate everything, have all of the advantages and so on and so forth. Um, unfortunately, if you look at issues like uh, domestic violence and if you hold the view that the majority of perpetrators of domestic violence are, are male... Uh, and there's some contest around that uh, in different circles. Even if you hold that view, um, you, you're never going to be able to tackle male perpetrators uh, by simply looking at it from a female perspective. It is an absolute disgrace when it happens, but what we actually want to do is make sure that we've got guys journeying along other men saying, look, this is how you can be a good male role model in your community. Now, that, now the thing is we also have single-parent families Uh, But where that happens, there's still a responsibility for the other males around that single parent family to assist, to help, to to be there as an encouragement and a support to the children that are being raised in that that family. Now that's how you're going to ultimately, truly, authentically tackle the issue of drugs to go to the very heart of where things are starting in the first place. Uh, Unfortunately... uh, to be perfectly frank, we're not hearing much in that space from, from any party and um, that's why um, I'm, if I'm re-elected again tomorrow, which I uh, trust will be the case, uh, then I will be continuing on this bandwagon that I've been on for the last eight years. Uh, Daryl Budge, in your surveys for Family Voice Australia, were there any questions that related to issues of uh, law and order, uh, crime, uh, yes, people's yes. Uh, we responses? Are, we asked a question about alcohol and drug approach and should we go towards more of a drug-free society rather than this harm minimisation policy, which has been the pursuit of many Labor governments in the eastern states. Um, we've seen uh, drug injection rooms being proposed and there's a lot of meddling with the figures that have got that has gone on with this. Some some claims have been made, uh, so we we wanted to ask people: uh, Do you pursue a drug-free society? And we saw a Greens candidate, uh, an independent candidate, and an Animal Justice Party candidate all answered that they would be less inclined to go towards a drug-free society, and they want the harm minimisation policy, which is basically enabling drug users to use more drugs in different forms, different ways, needle exchange programs, drug injection rooms, etc. Okay, Uh, we're going to move on from that question, but thank you so much uh, for your question there, Marilyn. Uh, Great to hear from you, and thank you so much for dropping in to say hello. Mm.
I'll shake your hand in a short while if we get an opportunity to. Uh, let's continue to talk about what's happening with the election tomorrow and something that you began to touch on, Nick, uh, just before our last break. Uh, and this is the influence of federal politics on the West Australian state election. Uh, we know that the last election and the election before, there was, uh, was significant factors that were happening federally that affect the way that people vote in the state election. Uh, what is the feeling this time around about Malcolm Turnbull, about Bill Shorten, about way, the ways people are thinking about federal issues and state issues? Yeah, uh, look, my view is that uh, um, talking to people in the community, uh, these things get conflated. So... Um, you, you probably would be surprised how many people actually might think that this election has something to do with uh, Bill Shorten or Malcolm yeah. Turnbull. I know it probably sounds ridiculous, particularly for Western Australians, because the adv advertising is so clear. But the truth is, you know, the majority of people in our community are not that engaged in politics, um, and uh, I can't blame them. I, when I was practising as a lawyer before I entered into Parliament, to be frank, I had no interest in politics whatsoever. Uh, I had limited um, interest in current affairs. So if I picked up the newspaper, I'd turn to the back and read the sports, because that's the fun part, right? <laughs> and uh, my attitude towards Parliament and parliamentarians were, this is a circus, this is a joke, I can't believe that what goes on there, and I really don't want to have anything to do with that stuff. Look how they behave, look how they talk to each other, and so on and so forth. And it wasn't until... Um, uh, there was a policy that was being put forward in Western Australia that would have seen the legalisation of brothels for the first time in Western Australia's history that I um, immediately um, changed my view. I thought, hang on a second, something's drastically going wrong here. It's easy for me to just make some cheap remarks with regard to their behaviour. That's one thing. But actually this is now going to be a terrible policy which is actually anti-female, anti-male, anti-family. And I can either complain about it or do something about it. So that's what was ultimately what got me involved. But so I can quite understand why people are disengaged and consequently why they conflate federal and state issues because they're just not um, properly interested. <laughs> and that's the challenge for us as members of parliament to lift the standards to make sure that people actually um, have a proper uh, respect for the role that is being played by parliamentarians. Uh, interestingly, too, the way mainstream media in newscasts report, uh, whether it's federal issues or international issues, uh, when, say, it's international issues, Donald Trump uh, dominates the headlines, uh, you guys at state level are uh, struggling to get on the news sometimes. And so uh, it's not unusual then, is it, that whether it's a, an international issue or a national issue, that sometimes it's just hard to be heard. And so this whole influence that comes from international politics and then national leaders are doing their thing, uh, it does influence the way people are thinking. So, uh, Daryl Budge, from your point of view, uh, when people vote tomorrow, will they be thinking, well, I'm not sure I like Malcolm Turnbull as much as I might have liked Tony Abbott or, or those sorts of issues uh, and feeling like they're making a statement by casting their votes in a state election uh, with this crossover of, of influence? Yeah, when it comes to voting or when it comes to we make a position on an issue, it's anger that motivates us most, not the positive. And it's, the, it's usually the negative that motivates us to, in, in a certain way. So if we don't like this guy, we'll vote for the other guy. So that's why there's so many attack ads that will actually you know, attack this 
person. And, and uh, it's kind of bad. I mean, Nick would know this, is that we should be debating policy, not personalities. But that's what we see all the time. Mm. And has it been a clean campaign, Nick? Uh, your perspective, and uh, as a, a Liberal uh, member of the Upper House here in WA, uh, as you look at the campaign, uh, has it been a fairly clean, amicable campaign, or is there a little bit of sort of, you know, uh, underhandedness been happening? Yeah, I don't think it's been cleaned by, by, by either party, um, mine, mine included, nor the, nor the other side. So um, it's really another interesting thing in politics is that I often hear feedback from um, constituents that says, why, do you, why are you guys always so negative? Uh, I really hate the negativity. I wish that parliamentarians were, were positive. Um, and yet what happens is that people only seem to react or respond to uh, negative messaging. Uh, so what people say and how they respond and react is a different thing. So consequently, what happens is that the, the major political parties in particular continue to do uh, negative attack ads and so forth and will continue to do them because they're effective. Mm. And so, Daryl Budge, this makes it all the more important, doesn't it? Because if we all recognise that we're easily influenced by our own emotions, uh, by the negative uh, campaigning ads, and they may be far, far, far from the truth. So when we have surveys, like yes. your Family Voice Australia survey, and to mention another one too, the Australian Christian Values Checklist, and yeah. if people uh, Google either of those, you'll get a good impression of how the parties yeah. are standing on issues. But uh, to actually to cut through all of the, the negatives, to cut through all of the hype, to cut through all of the falseness, uh, you really have to come back and you have to see what the parties are saying. Yeah, yeah as I said in the last segment, research is very important. Um, we want to rise, The only way to rise above emotion is to be informed. I mean, you can't just continue in that emotion if you actually read a fact. And facts don't care about your feelings, to coin a popular phrase. So we need to look at the facts, yeah. Okay. Uh, what are the other big issues uh, that people have been talking to you about, Nick? I mean, uh, we've been talking about things like GST earlier on in the broadcast. Uh, I'm sure that's one of the, the most significant ones, but uh, perhaps your impression on GST, but, but the other big issues that people are, are talking about. Yeah, look, the GST issue uh, is one where both sides of politics obviously have a very strong parochial Western Australian perspective, uh, as you would expect. Um, and I'm one of them, so I hold the same view. Uh, the current system is a rip-off, uh, and Western Australians are angry about it, but powerless to do anything about it. So that's a, that's a real a dysfunctional issue that will require some national leadership. I don't actually think that that's going to be a major factor in people's votes tomorrow. Um, I think in terms of economic issues, uh, the two that... that um, well, there are probably three that particularly come, come to mind. One is we all recognise that there is a, uh, a situation of, of debt and deficit in Western Australia. Has any party got a plan to deal with that? Um, secondly, uh, what are people's position with regard to the partial privatisation of uh, Western power, uh, which is in Western Australia our, our body which owns the infrastructure, the poles and the wires? So we've got a body here um, which is Synergy, which actually sells electricity to, to, to uh, consumers. But then we've got another body, Western Power, which owns the poles and the wires. And there is a proposal, certainly by the Liberal Party, to sell 51% of that. That's probably something that's familiar to your New South Wales listeners, at least anyway. 
Uh, and the third thing is that we've got a major piece of road infrastructure um, called the extension of the Row Highway, Row, row Stage 8 and 9, and the two parties have two very different perspectives on that. Works have already started on that road, um, and probably something that's familiar to the Victorian listeners, uh, the Labor government has said that they'll tear up the contracts uh, if they come in, whereas obviously the Liberal Party are committed to continuing to build that road. So there are certainly very clear um, points of difference between the parties, which is a good thing, and it depends on what listeners uh, think about that in terms of how they'll cast their vote. Well, we're running out of time, and so I've already asked you, I think, Daryl, uh, in the last segment, uh, your predictions. Um, uh, you could re re recount that for us uh, in just a few moments, but I'll ask you too, Nick, uh, your predictions uh, for tomorrow, because uh, One Nation is in the mix. Uh, earlier on in the conversation, uh, before you arrived, we are talking about the minor Christian parties and the suggestion that people can put a one in a Christian party uh, like Australian Christians or even Family First uh, and that might actually uh, be a good thing for them. As a Liberal Party member I wouldn't be expecting you to say you should do that but uh, there are ways that people can actually vote with an alternative other than the Greens or Pauline Hanson. What would your encouragement be? Because people are obviously going to be, uh, a lot of people uh, en masse might well be voting for an alternative party. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I would just encourage people as Daryl mentioned earlier to do their research and uh, I, I commend Family Voice for the survey that they uh, put together. There were 10 uh, hard-hitting questions that were put together by um, Family Voice. They asked all of the candidates to respond Obviously some have responded, others have not. Uh, parties have also been asked to respond. And I think for Christian um, voters, they'll have a very clear sense as to where candidates and parties stand on those 10 tough areas if they just go and uh, look at that survey that uh, Daryl and his com company have put together. So I commend them for doing that, and uh, I think that's just the fairest thing that I can say. And, you know, uh, commending Family Voice Australia for the survey that you've put together and also the Christian Values uh, checklist that people can Google and have a look at, because in one sense it seems to me that Christian voters can be the best informed voters. Yes. Uh, and you can trust the integrity of what's happened because of the Christian integrity that is behind organisations that are putting the surveys yes, forward. So right. uh, from that point of view, I think uh, you know, I'd like to endorse those surveys for people to actually become uh, adequately informed before casting a vote tomorrow. So uh, commending you, uh, Daryl, and thank I want to say thank you so much for being part of the broadcast today. Yeah. It's been and, invaluable. And just before we leave, I'll just mention the website, survey.fava.org.au. Okay, survey.fava.org.au, and uh, you could Google the Australian Christian Values Checklist. It's also a valuable means of being able to see where the parties uh, will vote. And uh, uh, Nick Goyran, uh, thank you so much for being part of our, our broadcast today. Nick's the Liberal Member of the Legislative Council representing South Metropolitan Region. And uh, I know it'll be a, a close time tomorrow. Uh, we'll all be watching the results tomorrow night as they begin to unfold with the voting. But, Nick, thanks so much for your insights today. And, and uh, while you are a Liberal member, uh, thanks for your really open and candid uh, comments about... Uh, how you think the election's going, and uh, and even being a little critical of your own party at times. And I think people will probably appreciate that uh, that candid uh, response to some of the issues we've been talking about. To both of you, thanks so much for being with us today on the 2020 broadcast. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much. much.
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.